This is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town. There are an unusually high number of children laid to rest here. Yet no one in the town seems to recall anything unusual about this time. To us, anyway. Yet legend tells a different story. One whose evidence is all around us. Etched in stone. Etched in stone. Etched in stone. Hello, and welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. In this first series, we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost and your podcast host. In this episode, we're tackling one of the 90s and horror's most defining and influential films, one that inspired a whole new species of genre films with grainy footage and shaky cam. Today, we'll be talking about the 1999 found footage horror, The Blair Witch Project. I'm joined in this episode by BAFTA-nominated writer and director Nat Lutzirma, who is so hilarious I spend most of the episode laughing. The Blair Witch Project is the original found footage horror that follows three film students, Heather, Michael and Joshua, as they go into the Maryland backwoods to cover the mystery behind the Blair Witch incidents, which legend says are the product of an exiled witch taking her revenge on the town that wronged her. However, they soon lose their map and things take an unexpected turn. It's an interesting film to discuss on a series dedicated to witches, because there's a lot of talking about the witch, a lot of witchy business going on, but the witch herself is never seen. There's not that much to spoil, but if you'd rather go in fresh into the Blair Witch Project, please be warned that Nat and I talk about the film in detail, so you may want to give it a watch first. I'd recommend seeing it in a very dark room under a duvet, or maybe in a tent in a forest somewhere if you're camping inclined. Sunday is gloomy with the shadows I spend it all. Now, thank you so much for a being here and for picking this film it's quite interesting because i was almost on the fence about doing an episode on the blair witch project until you picked it interesting i felt like a little bit of a lightweight intellectual for going for it because we were discussing so many other films where we were mm-hmm. like, hmm, i can very much discuss the politics of that and like it's very interesting and like i really loved the Blair Witch Project although I hadn't seen it in years and it's like it's a very specific feeling when you say yeah I'm gonna talk about that film on a podcast and you sit to watch it maybe the day you're recording it and you think (laughs) please don't be shit please don't be really shit and I've just remembered you fondly because I was young when I watched it so when did you first encounter the film well so it came out in 1999 um I was a little teenager these were my prime cinema going years we Mm -hmm. would turn up on a Friday no Saturday afternoon and just be like what do we see because it was like five quid a film, so you're like, we'll just see and film. Oh, good and times. Such good times. Yeah. And um, a lot of time on your hands as well, which I think really helps. But um, And we only ever had to walk out of one film, which is pretty good going. Which one was it? It was Clear and Present Danger, and I just think 14-year-old me wasn't really interested in anything that was going on there. Intriguing. Yeah, I didn't fancy I anybody, that. and there weren't really any girls in it. So <laughs> I was like, well, 
I mean, those are the basic parameters for a teenage girl going Basically, to the cinema. Right? Do I fancy anyone? Is there anyone that I can relate to? Yeah, I mean, you say a teenage girl, but probably me in my adult years as well. It's like, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it if I fancy someone, even if it's terribly shit, but I, I need something else. Thirst criticism is an acceptable form of criticism That's now. the only criticism I do. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to my PhD lecture. Um, so yes, 1999 it came out. And me and my friend, Caroline, are still are, still very good friends. We are massive horror fans, but we are also massive emitophobes. We have a terribly a debilitating phobia of vomit. We both do. We're, we, I've jumped in front of buses by mistake when someone on the pavement has like leaned over and I thought they were going to be sick, and I just instinctively leapt out of the way in the path of a bus, and they were just tying their shoelace. So I know I'm going to die at least. Um, and all the reports were saying people were puking in the cinema. And I was like, that, that just added to the mythology of the Blair Witch Project to me. Like, not only are the three actors still missing, probably dead guys, as I said to everyone at school, listen, guys, those three actors, they're still, they're still missing. They're dead. Yeah. So the mythology, kind of the marketing campaign around yeah. it, you were completely suckered me completely into it. in. Amazing. I was a very naive child. I was right in. Yeah. So were you scared when you first saw it? Yeah, so scared. We finally got it from Blockbuster Video, I think, and watched it at home. Um, and I don't think I could have watched it in the Sun March. I think it would have made me, um, got me a bit motion sick. Um, the only thing I'd ever seen like that, was it at that time around then? Quen- Quentin Tarantino directed an episode of ER. <laughs> and it was really all <laughs> over the place and handheld. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, oh, quite crazy. Oh, 100% did not expect that, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what did you think about it? (laughs) What did you think about it rewatching it today? Uh, Much better than I'd anticipated. I was like, oh, I bet I'm going to watch it with my my clever little head now. I'm an adult. I bet I'm going (laughs) to see so many flaws in it. It probably won't be particularly woke politically. Um, And also you've seen so many rip-offs of it now that like... I remember watching the uh, McQueen, the Alexander McQueen documentary and being genuinely surprised that his clothes were really beautiful because all I was familiar with were the nasty knockoffs of his clothes that reached the high street that I bought. So I was like, oh, the, this is the, the origin. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It still scared the shit out of me. Did it? What was yeah. the scariest bits for you? Um, When... Which one is it? When Mike loses his shit and says that he kicked the map into the creek that ho ho then i'm like we're not a team guys we're not safe we're not a team um that really scared me um the the stick figures in the woods that definitely got me um when they hear noises in the middle of the night because i hate camping and i've had to camp so much i fucking hate i fucking hate it i was brought up poor so we always went camping at holidays when my friends were like off to the seychelles so every time i'm in a tent i'm like oh i hate my life oh my god you're just bringing up some really weird teenage memories (laughs) i love the fact that the atmosphere created by this film is so powerful with Mm. so very few elements so little right just the dark pile of stones some darkness. stick figures yeah. some noises yeah. i think even before i had seen the film i whenever i'd go camping forced by mm. either teachers or the school or yeah. my parents because never you consensual have to be camping i've never done no that. such thing as consensual camping no. because you know you have to be 
quote unquote outdoorsy. Oh, God. I'm not fucking outdoorsy. I want to be outdoorsy. Right, I've got a long hair and it's really high maintenance. I just want it to look nice. I just want to sit in the cinema. I want to sit in the dark room and watch movies. Exactly. That's all I want to do. I want a chair. There's not enough chairs in the outdoors. <laughs> you have to sit on a tree and you're like, it's quite damp. Things are touching me. Oh my God, I hate it. Yeah, like yeah. there's bugs everywhere and like just the... Even being in a tent, which is the only protective space that you have when you're camping. It's just right? a little bit of fabric. You are not it's safe. It's so terrifying. And your mind just wonders. You can create yeah. so many terrifying images and stories just with the noises and the shadows and any minuscule movement just becomes huge. Yeah. And isn't that kind of the thing that's so scary, even now, about the Blair Witch Project is that mm. it taps into so many just fears and just the power of your own imagination of like, I can't really see anything, but something's there. Yeah, absolutely. And you feel so small as well, right? Have you, <laughs> weird question, weird first date type question. Have you ever been lost in the woods? I have. Yeah, same. Yeah. And were you quite young? Yeah, because my, uh, I used to go to my grandma's house in the woods when I was very, very young. Right. Everyone should have a grandma who lives in the woods, <sighs> smokes a pipe, carries a gun. Oh, you look a little blurry there. Let me zoom out on you. Okay. okay. Good morning. Got it. Okay, I got you. This is my home. Okay. Wow. Which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. Some essential reading, how to stay alive in the woods, because you never know what's going to happen. And this is a very important book because it has the article about what happened at Coffin Rock. That's pretty old. Yeah, it's totally old. This is my field notebook. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned before that, like, the Blair Witch Project also has spawned so many knockoffs. Well, the money it made. Jesus Christ. Huge. Yeah, yeah, you could see everyone's noses a mile around and be like, um, sorry, I'd like to make 25 million, please. <laughs> Off 60 grand or whatever. Like, Jesus. Yeah, but they really, like, worked really hard to create that mythology around it. Yeah. Not just kind of within the film, but around the film itself, because they pretended that all the actors were disappeared yeah, or deceased or dead those yeah. poor actors got such a rough ride of it like yeah. they were in like one of the most successful horror films the most, one of the most successful films ever the fifth most successful independent film of all time wow yeah yeah not surprised um uh yeah and but of course you're not getting much work off the back of it because your imdb says you're dead like yeah, there was. I remember Helena, um, Heather Donahue, isn't mm-hmm. she, uh, the female character? She she's so interesting. I remember her saying that when Blair Witch came out, she was driving a shitty old car that she got with her temping money, and it overheated and broke down. And she was waiting for a tow truck or couldn't afford a tow truck, so just had to stand next to it and wait for it to cool down. And she was that was happening beneath a billboard with her face on. <laughs> And she like, and she gave an interview where she said she was the poorest new famous person in the world, and and got told off by the like, the marketing department. But like, it's true. Like she was a really big part of why that film is brilliant. And mm. I don't really think she got much out of it. And it doesn't really seem fair. They went into the woods prepared to find death. What they found was a desecration of humanity at the site which trappers have often referred to as Coffin Rock. On top of the rock formation, the story of the torture inflicted upon these brave five men unfolded each was bound to the other each man's hands bound to the next man's feet forming a solid structure out of the men blood at the edges of the hemp indicate that this act had committed been committed while each was alive and able-bodied enough to struggle in the torso of each man the intestines had been torn out crudely on each man's sun-bleached face was inscribed indecipherable writing cut into their flesh with an eerie precision 
The men, still entranced by the horror of what had happened, left the scene to find the sheriff and did not sketch the writing and did not remove the bodies from the rock. Upon return, vultures were seen at the rock. But upon inspection, the bodies had been removed by persons unknown. The search party claimed that the stench of death was still thick, and whomever had taken the bodies had done so in a matter of hours. That happened here, at Coffin Rock. And it, Heather's a really interesting character because she's, well, she's uh, kind of the de facto protagonist. She's the one mm. who kind of has the most lines. Her face, she's always on camera. She's sort of the de facto leader. Oh, she's sort leader. of a lot off camera, actually, but you've got her voice right in your ears, so you yeah. feel like you are her head. Yeah. You're looking through her eyes. Because she's the director of the documentary that they're yeah. trying to make, but she's also the presenter. So very often, yeah. you know, in the sort of proper footage that they're shooting, she's the one narrating the right, history the of the Right, and the 16 millimeter stuff. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about her? She, I find her so interesting. And yeah, I remember when I first watched it when I was a kid, finding her really annoying and bossy. And now I have grown into a bossy bitch myself. I have so much time for her and so much sympathy for her. And yeah, I think she's a really interesting character. She's, this is quite a sexist thing to say because there's no male equivalent, but she is a head girl type person. <laughs> go on and it's really bad like me and my partner say this to each other all the time like if we meet someone like we admire them we think they're a good person and um but we're like but she's a bit of a head girl and like she even has a french plait all the way through like they have neat hair it's very shiny they will have a french plait they'll be a bit humorless they just will but they will get stuff done you kind of want a few of them in your team um if you got like free tickets to an s club seven concert Something ridiculous. You wouldn't ever take your head girlfriend. But if you got glass in your foot at a house party and had to go to A&E, you would call your your head girl best friend. Resourceful. Resourceful. And yeah. like not the most fun, a little bit straight down the line, but very reliable, very dependable, quite bossy. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think there's a male equivalent. Like I never say he's a bit of a head boy. No, what would that even just say mean? he's assertive. Yeah. She is the director yeah. of the documentary that they're yeah. making. So in a way... And also... I'm, oh, she should be occupying that role. She should be bossy. And I love her for being bossy. Yeah. And like, But it is weird seeing that sort of um, tension with the two boys, men, um, that like, she's the boss. Maybe mm. that feels slightly odd to them, just a little bit. But she is so very much the boss. Like, she calls Mike little Mikey. She's very much up in their face with the cameras. Like, she is dick swinging. And that does definitely create some tension between the three of them. And I think the tension between the three of them is the horror of the first half that I find very interesting. So when Mike says he, like, kicked the map into the creek, like, you maybe maybe no horror could ever come. You could just have a film about those three going completely mad in the woods and either of them could kill her just because they're much bigger. No, I think we're all right. Come on, let's just keep going. We took a map reading, we just follow what the compass says. We're going straight ahead, we're going that way. That way. We are in the middle of nowhere. We've been in the middle of nowhere for two days. The car is parked in the middle of nowhere, almost. No, Mike, look at this shit, man, this is nothing. Okay, let's just keep going, all right? I think we should camp. Get the fuck out of here. Why, because you don't know where we're going? No, because I think we're still the ways off from the car and it's gonna be getting dark real soon. Look, I'm not saying for certain. We we're might not be... camping here. Get Maybe we're home. near the Turn car. The Maybe we're near the car. Home. Give me the fucking map. Give me the map. Heather, give me the map. Turn the camera off. Give me the Turn map. Turn the camera off and get us home. No, I'm not turning the camera off. I want to I I mark this occasion. Give me the map. 
The map is in my pocket. You're gonna have to wait a second. You wanna see the map? God damn! Shush. If we keep our heads together, we'll be just fine. Fucking bullshit! Mike, chill. Just relax, Mike. Don't fucking tell me to relax! It actually reminds me of um, The Descent. I love The Descent, but like, when the monsters turn up, I'm like, fuck off, I'm already scared. I'm already really frightened because I don't like pot caving or whatever you're doing, you mad bitches. And there's also a very eggy atmosphere between all you people and that confrontation is making me very tense. And then a monster turns up and I'm just like, oh, I need to lie down. <laughs> this is far too much for me. But um, yeah, the first half, like it, it just feels like that. that is the horror for me is, is the really spiky, uh, brewing unease and like, hostility between the three of them like when like you were saying like it's great the way that that this film makes horror out of such tiny things a pile of stones terrifies me more than a massive cgi godzilla when you think that is like it's such a massive part of the the atmosphere that the film creates mm. but when you stop to really analyze it there's so very few elements of horror yeah. in it yeah and i wonder if it wasn't found footage if you would find it so scary I wonder if, like, every shot was framed, you know, thoughtfully, and if it had that kind of real filmmaker deliberation behind it, if you'd be as scared. But as it is, like, all this jerky, fumbling, like, they don't seem in control. They're, they're trying to be in control, but, like, yeah, everything you're seeing is quite, like, jerky, and it's quite, like, uncontrolled, like, all the handheld stuff. So I, I think I think that means that when you see a pile of stones, you are scared. And what do you think about the... The mythology that they build around the witch because they essentially go into the woods mm. to make a documentary about this witch legend yeah i don't when i was watching it i was like oh coffin coffin what like the actual mythology of the myth which i don't remember any of it in fact That's i rewatched it this morning i don't think i could really tell you except a load of men were like tied together in like a long chain which made me think of the human centipede and i was like well <laughs> that, that would have been worse and yeah and people go missing or like basically there's something bad in the woods and that's sort of all i need to know mm. because once they're lost and once they're all vulnerable and scared and things start turning up it's actually the confused mythology that oh, i think scares me most mm -hmm. um you're not giving me something like a bigfoot to look for um except that they kind of do even in the title like they just call it the blair witch you're yeah. almost expecting a witch to appear at any point. Interestingly, and it's probably just because I make films now, I think Project jumps up at me more now. That feels like such a Heather title that like Heather is a filmmaker with projects and notebooks for each project. And like, it's just like an attempt to control what is happening, which is what she does all the way through the whole film. She's mm. just trying to control it and do her project because she's a head girl. And <laughs> I just... I felt really rushed because I really want to get to camp and it's 4.52 we're going to be late. We're going to be losing light soon. Um, but, I mean, I can always use the shot without me in it because I, I recorded sound in the rock reading the whole thing, so I'm sure I can edit it together somehow. It's starting to rain. Because Blair Witch as well, I, it just means Tony Blair to me. Still Blair is Tony Blair. And like, it doesn't matter how good the film is or like how influential it is. It's not a very scary name to me. Yeah, so I don't really feel the presence of the witch. I just feel there's something mm. and that's good enough for me. That's so interesting. I mean, like even the whole film, 
is quite notable by the absence of the witch, but yeah. her constantly being present but invisible and just yeah. sort of talked about by different people. Mm-hmm. It's like I completely forgot about the scenes from when I first watched it as a teenager to when I rewatched it quite recently at a screening, actually. So on the big screen for the first time in my life. Because I find it really funny, and it, one of the funniest bits of the film that I'd completely forgotten about was those um, interviews that Heather does yes. with the locals when they are all talking about the legend of the Blair They're Witch. They're great scene setting, aren't they? Yeah. They're great casting. And apparently some were normal people and some were actors. Uh, we're doing a documentary yeah. about the Blair Witch. Oh. oh, have you heard of the Blair Witch? Oh, yeah. That, that's an old, old, old story. I remember uh, Mr. Parr was an old hermit. Right. And, and he lived up on a mountain. He had a, he had a place up there, been there for a long, long time. You've heard of the Blair Witch? Several times. Several times. And what was the first incident? incident well, I've heard, I've heard stories about her from people and neighbors and stuff like that. But also, I saw a documentary on the Discovery Channel or somewhere. Really? Once about her, about the ghosts really? and legends of Maryland. Yeah, it's a story my grandmother used to tell us all. Makes good to bed early. Really? Say if you stay up after dark or walk around the house too much, a Blair Witch would come and get you. Uh, sort of in the winter, I guess, the fall or the winter 1940, uh, some of the young kids started to disappear, and nobody, nobody knew anything about why they were, why they were disappearing. So the creepiest, <laughs> the creepiest story <laughs> about moment, her that I ever heard was that two men were out hunting, uh-huh. and they were camped near the cabin or something that she's supposed to haunt. No, uh-huh. no. And they disappeared off the face of the earth. No. Really? Okay, it's all right, Ingrid. I'm just telling a scary story, but it's not true. It's not true. Yeah, I think... Because you know, something I love about horror, it's like I was a stand-up comedian for about seven or eight years, and I think stand-up comedy and horror are so similar in that when someone begins telling me a joke or when I begin watching a horror film, I'm like, go on. What are, you, what are you telling me? And it's like watching sketch comedy as well. Like when someone walks in, the first lines they say, and you're like, okay, so what are you telling me? Which I don't feel like with the drama. I don't feel that they're like stitching things in place that carefully. And like, I think that's why a bad horror film is so annoying when you're like, so, but what? Because you didn't say that at the beginning. Why have you not ty- <laughs> What? Oh, but yeah, those, those... At the beginning, and I think because it's so diffuse as well, like all the different things they know about the witch. That's mm. how I feel. Like, so there was a guy who like killed seven kids because the witch yeah. told them to. Completely forgot about that. Can't remember his name now. Yeah. Like, so who is the 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 Blair Witch kind of pieced from all of these different bits of mm. interviews and Heather's research that she talks about, the stuff that we see in the film, and also you know, lest we forget, like the actual marketing campaign around yeah. the film because that was such a big element of the film's success as well. So mm. kind of, who is she? I mean, it's still not very clear to me. I mean, like, she was a she was a witch, right, who was, like, driven out of the town when it was called Blair, if I'm remembering yeah. that right, and then she lived in the woods. I'm not saying she's your grandmother, but all the evidence is pointing <laughs> that your grandmother is the Blair Witch <laughs> and you should bring it up at Christmas. Um, <laughs> and... But, but like, that mythology means I'm totally on the witch's side. I'm like, well, goddamn those narrow-minded townspeople. Yeah. They so live in the woods. To fill in the blanks, which are not filled in that much by no. the film, the witch of the Blair Woods, mm-hmm. whatever, was a woman from the 18th century called Ellie Kedward, was banished from the town because people accused her of being a witch. Oh, they were always doing that at that time. 
always doing that and like nothing is really explained as to what drew people to that conclusion mm. but they sent her off to the woods and then there's several sources on here so there's a whole fandom and wiki realm on the internet yes, that kind of dives of into that yeah. and then the filmmakers themselves made a companion tv dog where they essentially faked footage and newspaper clippings and testimonies to accompany the release of the film essentially to make people believe that there was such a thing as the witch of the Blair Woods or mm-hmm. the Blair Witch in order to make the film feel more documentary-esque. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's all available on YouTube as well. It's like a 45-minute oh, yeah, documentary yeah, yeah. called The Curse of Blair Witch. But it essentially, like, they shunned this woman into the woods and then kind of tied her up to a tree. And one of the accounts is that they sort of tied stones to her feet as well. So, mm-hmm. and kind of left her in the woods to die from exposure. And then from then she became this figure that would push people to murder children, Mm -hmm. to do several kind of misdeeds of different kinds, like all related to, you know, really bad, nasty shit, like murdering people. did you need to know that to be scared of the film though? Because I feel like I don't need it. It's fine by me. This is what's interesting to me about the Blair Witch Project though, is the fact that you don't get any of that and you don't need it. No. But then the minute I stop watching the film and I finish it, I'm like, who is she? I want to know who she is. Uh I want to see the prequel. I want to learn who she is. I want to see her on screen because we never get her on screen, do we? No, no. But I feel that because part of her power is making people do awful things... I I think maybe that diffuses my mm. idea of her because there's that guy, Dustin or something, who, like, killed seven schoolchildren on her command. Well, so I'm scared of him now. And so, like, the more minions she has that she makes do terrible things for her. So I don't know if the people out in the woods with them are just being controlled by the witch or if it is the witch. And, like, I, I, I don't need to know. Which, I mean, I, I'm, the marketing department would be gutted to hear that because obviously they put all that work in <laughs> but like no I just I'm such a credulous child I'm such a credulous adult now like tell me a story and I will believe the story while I'm watching it I don't really you know I don't really believe it but like mm. I like yeah I can suspend disbelief like no one else this is one of the fundamental reasons I think that the Blair Witch Project still stands up as so distinct from other found footage films it's because it doesn't feel the need to explain within the actual text of the film. Yeah. Because all of all, all of this other stuff is outside of it. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of noise pieces. around it, isn't there? And like yeah. loads of companion pieces and like knockoffs and spin-offs and like I just like the film. That's all I'm here for. I yeah. just really so like So within the, film. the actual like universe, we even though she's in the title, even though she's the mm. villain of the film, we never really quite get to be in contact with the witch. Which yeah. is kind of interesting because then if you think about other witches on screen she's literally the most domineering and powerful force but you never get to see her yeah how can you classify her yeah how can you defeat her yeah she's like a blank a void and like yeah. arguably because they couldn't afford whatever you would need to you know which is fair enough like but the weird thing is though like i think that heather is the antagonist for like the first half of the film because mm-hmm. like when i was watching it for the first time i was like heather's gonna get them all killed 
And that, to me, felt like the real scary thing. Because of her poor leadership skills. Yeah, because she just wouldn't listen, because she just, like, just so stubborn, so, like, you know, and I'm scared of the woods. I've been lost in the woods as a little kid, and, mm. like, just that feeling of, like, those trees dwarfing you and everything looks the same around you, and it feels like the tree trunks are, like, on your eyeballs because it's so scary. And so, yeah, just like the descent, I was already scared, and then the horror started happening, and I was like, oh, God. But what is the horror then if we don't see the witch and it's all atmosphere is the horror them going mad no I, I think I believe it I think I don't think they like I mean they are definitely going mad before mm. the horror starts if anything actually the horror feels like it kind of clarifies their minds a bit because at the beginning when when like Josh and Mike are both going a bit screwy or maybe Mike goes screwy first mm-hmm. just at being lost and having to get the kit back and running out of cigarettes and food and things like that. Once horror starts happening in the middle of the night, I think you're like, oh, now it's different. Now you really are in danger. Um, it's clever for that, I think, by really isolating you. And and what are the supernatural elements that show up in the film that we can sort of can infer are the witch's powers, essentially? Yeah, like, it's all very, like, rural, rustic, like, wicker man-type witch stuff, isn't it? Like, piles of stones, teeth being pulled, the stick figures in the trees. Um, that's a weird one. When, when Heather first sees the stick figures in the trees, you can hear in her voice she's terrified and elated. Crazy shit. Please, I just I gotta get this on 16. Take the fucking camera. Okay. I have no idea. Cause that it like she's and that's scary as well because I think she is your protagonist, but I don't trust her for a lot of it. Because when you hear that elation in her voice, you think, oh fuck, you're still making a documentary. You're so tenacious. Like, uh, but as a filmmaker, surely that's the thing that will make her a good documentarian. Oh, she'd be a great documentarian. There for the story. Yeah. At yeah, the definitely. expense of her friends. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to be a like a, a grip on her documentary. <laughs> That'd be a great documentary, but you'll come back with one leg and be like, oh, yeah, no, no, really proud of it. But um, yeah, yeah, she's like, I definitely don't feel I quite trust her. And do you think that? With Heather being a the you know let's call her the head girl yeah and our de facto protagonist but also antagonist mm. and do you think just because of the sheer fact that she is a woman and she's in this position of leadership and is sort of being more and more kind of not being trusted by her team do you yeah. think there's a special connection between her and the witch? That's very interesting. Yeah, I don't think you ever think she'll get killed, right? I mean, right at the end, but when when someone's taken from the tent in the night, it doesn't feel like it's going to be her. It's interesting how loud the men are in the day, in that really, like, 
bravado scared young man type way where they're like yelling and shouting and like stomping around and then as it gets darker they get quieter and quieter and more and more scared and like there's a hilarious bit where they're like oh don't light a fire because they'll know we're here it's like you've been singing like the 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 the, the, the stars and stripes sarcastically while you had a breakdown in the middle of the woods a few hours ago so like they know you're here um but she's quiet all the way through I think like she oh she screams once she really loses it Mm -hmm. when when Mike chucks the map in the creek but she otherwise like I feel like she just was less conspicuous I don't know I don't feel like she's going to be picked off but she is but she is I mean it's interesting when they they try so hard to find the house and kind of in the middle bit of the film, kind of the really disorientating bit is when they're sort of going around in circles yeah. and they cannot get out of it. Yeah. And they're kind of driven mad because they cannot find an exit. They want to go back. They decide they're going to go back. And then they can't. And they end up at this house, which is sort of very abandoned yeah. and kind of fits into... Does it fit into what we expect from a witch's lair? Yeah, I guess it does suddenly make the mythology seem quite real Mm. because yeah because definitely at the beginning like i feel the mythology of the witch i find that all very interesting uh and i'm already scared before they reach the woods um and props to baby ingrid who i had to look her up who starts shouting no 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 when her mum is talking about the witch and you're like "Ah, that is genius keep doing that ingrid keep going darling little light in your face um and then very quickly i'm just scared that they're lost and they'll die out there and then the, the house brings me right back to witchy stuff. But that's really interesting as well, that final scene where, like, it's suddenly for the first time two cameras. And because you've been so used to, like, just that colour handheld stuff, that, like, cutting between colour and the 16 mil black and white, that's, like, it's, like, the closest it gets to, like, a, a an aesthetic flourish, right? And, and it really works because I think you feel so disorientated and so scared and you know no good is coming of this, right? And there's that bit where you're sort of seeing the same room, but from those two yeah. different cameras. And yeah. it's like, I don't and know which like one is feeling. real. That's it. And it's like that feeling of when they see the same log again and they walk around in circles again and again. And like, and I kept jumping when I'd see Mike because I'm expecting to find Josh. And like, and yeah, and I, yeah, I suppose you could be kind of like, you could read into it that like for the first time you're seeing two perspectives Mm. on this because it really is Heather's perspective for so much of it and it's also one of the very few instances of because one of the things that keeps kind of coming up um as I've been doing this podcast and talking to different people and re-watching all of these films is all of the witchy artifacts that are always peppered through Mm. all these films and this film is interesting because of kind of a almost a complete absence of that there is no book of shadows or grimoire there is no devil in any way shape or form there we don't actually see her we don't see what she looks like she's sort of talked about like an older woman Mm. and an older woman who hurts children um so that kind of comes up quite a lot of like the old hag or the crone who is committing the ultimate transgression as a woman which is to you know hurt a child because you know this is very heavy air quotes like every woman is supposed to be born with motherly instincts and you know having children is the ultimate goal as a woman or whatnot so like a witch transgressing that Mm -hmm. just makes it the ultimate pariah not just to society and societal norms but also to 
womanhood yeah and the like intrinsic something really of that. elemental inside yeah. like that way apparently that like uh, a baby's cry is meant to like distress women more it's like something in that really high register that like it really bothers us because it's meant to it's like a survival really? thing apparently is that what it is i mean i i just feel very irritable but do you think there's kind of especially in a rewatch mm. do you think there's any of those traditional elements of witchcraft that we see in the film at all aside from the house or is the house the only one uh, well i guess it is like the sticks the tying mm. the like all the all the rest of it that does feel quite witchy and like interesting as well so if you think about the idea that the blair witch is like transgressing female norms by hurting children and heather's kind of transgressing female norms by being like so bossy so tenacious so and when i say bossy i'm not having a go at her like you know bossy women run the world like um but uh, yeah, I wonder if there is anything in that. Maybe. Um, funnily yeah. enough, the house feels quite modern compared to how elemental the sticks feel. Because, I mean, it could be 10th century, could be 14th century. Like, mm. apart from the fact that there's a little bit of his shirt wrapped up in it, in that bundle of, like, of Josh's teeth and a bit of tongue, everything else... Because I always think that with the with books, right? Whenever a book comes out in a horror film, I'm like, mm. oh, in Hereditary near the end when, like, the book comes out, I'm like, put the book away. I don't find books very scary because they just make me think, well, that's been through a printing press. That's That's been manufactured. That's, like, that's not... Do you know what I mean? Like, but there is something very normal behind it. But they're also scary when they contain forbidden knowledge. Yes. Maybe I've just seen too many horror films where people open the book and they're like... Oh, Oh my god! And it's like we were already scared. I always want to read those books, nah, but I get the same feeling when in all the serial killer films, you know, when they show the notebook, oh, the right. diaries of the twisted or the, mind, or whatever, or the wall where they're like, "Here's everyone I'm killing. Here's yeah, why I kill." Yeah. You're like, "That's so." It's convenient. always such like interesting, lovely collage. Lovely is probably not the right <laughs> adjectives. It's always <laughs> such interesting collages that are in the serial killer notebooks, like the ones from Seven. Right, you just like arts and crafts, don't you? <laughs> so you will accept a serial killer. Um, and a grimoire. Treating, but yeah, treating people terribly, doing awful <laughs> things, but you're like, well, he's he's collaged. That's the main thing. <laughs> he's stuck it all in his scrapbook. I'd be a terrible serial killer because I don't really keep notes of anything. Oh, I think it'd be scribbles. a great one because I'd love keeping my notebooks. Oh. Scrapbooking, collaging. Something quite competitive that you'd make a better serial killer than me. <laughs> oh, God. I feel terrible about myself in many ways now. How was your day? Well, and I'll make a great serial killer and I won't. Other than that, fine. Fine, I suppose. I mean, arguably, you'd make a better one because you wouldn't leave a trace for the right, like, right yeah, to-do list. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> in my little serial killer notebooks. Yeah. Bless you. So Harriet the Spy. Very. I loved yeah. Harriet the Spy. Of course. Of course she I did, I obviously. But, um, <laughs> I, sorry, I did say that conversationally I would see a shiny thing and just, like, run after it. So um, it's uh, it's so interesting because, like, I, I, it's so weird. I don't think about the witch very much. That's what I find most fascinating about the film, that mm. she is the whole reason for being of Heather and her project, mm -hmm. of all of that experience of, you know, the characters going there of their deaths. Yeah. You know, we presume she they're presumed kill deaths. them in the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the end, we're like, oh, she is real. Mm. And yeah. But I mean, it. there's so many horror films, though, where you build up this idea of something and when you actually see it, it just isn't as scary. Mm. It just isn't. Like that whole famous thing about Jaws and the Shark and like, yeah. you know, I remember going to see the, going to see the Meg 
was so excited about seeing the Meg because I was like, it's a dinosaur shark. And I'm very on board for both those things. And then when I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's big. <laughs> I don't feel like it's like a hundred times bigger than the Jaws shark. But I don't feel a hundred times more scared for obvious filmmaking reasons. And I was a bit like... Godzilla and Mothra as well. When they fight, you're like... I, like, honestly, in terms of fears, if Godzilla was outside our window, I would be very scared. But if we were trapped in this living room with a possum, which is much smaller than Godzilla, and like an angry little possum, I think we'd both be absolutely shit terrified. 100%. Yeah, that's a yeah. real genuine... That's like the pile of stones thing, isn't it? It's like something's coming for you. Yeah. That's a very immediate, very here, very real problem. Mm. But also... It's quite interesting because the witch is also the one figure in horror, I think maybe next to the vampire, which has always like been positioned as male, mostly, yes. whether the witch has mostly been gendered as female, but also highly sexualized and all very often presented as either like an old hag or a crone mm. or as a kind of voluptuous, seductive young woman who is using her beauty to lure people in, be that men or children for her own nefarious needs or whatever. So it's quite interesting that the Blair Witch Project just doesn't give us anything yeah. at all. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, if you want to dive into the Wikipedia of it, yeah, you can assume that Ellie was, you know, an older woman and fits more into the old crone uh, image of the witch. Yeah. But we don't actually get visual no. confirmation of and that. is that retrofitted really like i feel like that's sort of retrospective stuff about that we didn't really have and yeah so the more of... i think of an old woman woman living in the woods and just like having to make a fire and pee in a bucket then i'm like well none of this is very scary so like don't tell me these things and i just be like god i bet that house was drafty in winter and then i feel quite sorry for her and but like it doesn't let us like it doesn't specify what kind of witch it is so it kind no. of lets us completely conjure up anything because she's so amorphous she doesn't really have a body no but she's got all these powers she's there's no literally... sex at all in this film is there nothing no. sexual nothing at all like no there isn't even any sexual tension in between any of the three main characters no mass massively none complete yeah. absence yeah. yeah it's um the, probably the crone witch has been more prevalent than the sexy witch would you mm. say I don't know. I mean, oh. I, I don't have hard statistics. I'd on like them. to see some hard statistics on that, please, <laughs> if you don't mind. What sort of ramshackle podcast is this? <laughs> if I don't have statistics on sexiness of witches? Because something interesting happened to you actually at one point in your life. You had an encounter with the Blair Witch. Um, yes, that is um, a really kind of scary story. Um, to kind of make ends meet, my dad. And I would go fishing down by Taffy's Creek. Right. And you know, it's um, in Burkittsville. I was laying down on the leaves, a pile of leaves, kind of watching my pool and looking up at the sky. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt like something was near me. Right. You know, kind of a eerie feeling. It, it was like a woman, only on her arm and on her hands and everything. It was like here, like a real dark almost black hair uh -huh. like like a horse. like fur yeah like a fur like horse fur then her arms she had like a shawl right wool shawl over her and she scared you she threatened and, you and um she didn't say anything 
but she just kept staring, and then right. she opened up her shawl. And what was under there? And under it, there was hair on her body, like a So horse. she was hairy from head to toe? Yeah, it's and her her legs, and her, you could see right. How about her face? female. It's just kind of like strange looking. One of the most iconic kind of old crone witches are the witches from Macbeth, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's when, well, if we're going to talk about my work, if you bloody insist, <laughs> but um, I remember reading Macbeth when I was probably at school, and there is that line where he's like, so withered and so wild in your attire, and like, just starts telling these women what they look like and how unattractive they are, and I just, like, it really reminded me of stuff men would yell at vans out of van windows at me and it's like wasn't asking for your opinion on what I look like thank you and the moment I, I thought of that I was like oh that's the film isn't it like three normal quite outdoorsy women who perhaps could do with some moisturiser but you know <laughs> so we're not perfect are we um, encounter some hoity toity lord who's just like you're so ugly you must be witches and yeah it's true isn't it like that ugly witch thing yeah, you just don't get that, do you? Like vampires as well in particular. There's never been a plain vamp. No. That's well, their whole thing. You could argue that in some of the more like vampire-centric TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or True Blood, there's quite a lot spike. of room for mediocre-looking vampires. Sure. There's always room for mediocre-looking men, Anna. That's, that's the world. I would not call Spike a mediocre-looking man, though. I would not call him a mediocre-looking no. man. My, my teenage crush on him was just I mean, fierce. Going back to Blair Witch, you know, it, we talked a little bit about the impact that it had on horror cinema mm. and kind of film marketing, although, you know, that's maybe a bit too niche. But I'm sure a lot of listeners are really uh, interested in film marketing. <laughs> Give us more of that marketing good stuff, Anna. It goes well, well with the really hard statistics I have between yes. sexy witches and old crowns in cinema. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. The chat is dry, but it's very informative. <laughs> Where do you feel the impact of the Blair Witch Project most in horror? I think I think it's found footage. Mm-hmm. I think I weirdly I was looking up like, oh, what was the first found footage film? And I was like, I was amazed when the internet kept telling me oh, it's this. And I was like, no, shit, can it be? But like, I mean, the internet never bloody lies. I can't, I can't find, I'm sure, like, don't at me on Twitter. I'm sure, obviously, there are lots of films that have used found footage, but didn't have this same, like, massive mainstream impact. Um, I think that's it. I think, like, I still find found footage films quite scary. Like, I know it's been done to death. And, like, the biggest problem, I think you feel it so much in something like Cloverfield as well, where you're like, mate, put the camera down. Put it... No, you're slowing everyone down. You're being weird. And Blair Witch is one of the few found footage ones where it's a huge part of her character, why she can't put the camera down. And it's like... And it's such a power thing as well when, like, Josh turns the camera on her and films her. And she's not doing anything. She's just standing there, arms folded against a tree, but she just looks... Uh, vulnerable for the first time and almost like she's been violated because he's now looking at her through her camera and little things like that I think become so charged and it's so interesting and have you seen the subsequent films that expand the franchise uh i've watched a bit of two i really struggled with two no Book i of haven't Shadows. really yeah yeah they just got like shit on so comprehensively mm. when they came out that i was like i mean look i'll watch a two-star horror film it's so weird with the sequels that like everything the original film did so right that was so mm-hmm. simple it costs no money to pile up some little stones and all the rest of it yeah uh, sequels just didn't seem to see that that was what was successful about mm. it 
And then the reboot, I remember, I do remember watching it, but it was a lot more, it was very effective, but it's a lot more traditional mm. in the way that it was filmed. I didn't necessarily want it to be another found footage because I think that would have been just rehashing the original. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and there was a whole kind of thing about the marketing campaign of him pretending that he was doing something and then it turned out to be a reboot slash sequel slash remake of the Blair Witch Project. But it's a lot more gory. Mm. It's got a whole kind of, you know, more traditional storyline, more traditional approach. So I've kind of really forgotten about it, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, same. Do you know what I didn't like as well? That all the actors just kept getting hotter. And I was like, well, I'm not believing it now. I know I'm looking at actors. Look at those yeah. teeth. Um, yeah. I think Heather Donahue said she was the least fuckable, most unfuckable ingenue in film history. And I was like, God love it. I mean, I think she's pretty, but I know she she's is. very pretty. They are yeah. three ordinary people. But in also, the words, you totally believe it. Yeah, but also, you know, they're documentary filmmakers. They're not there to look pretty. No, they're behind camera. It's, exactly. Yeah. Even Heather throughout the whole film doesn't really wear makeup. They're wearing quite sensible woods appropriate clothing yeah that's such a bugbear of mine when people are like oh no we're lost and death is coming for us and it's like well you didn't even wear a fleece so <laughs> you, you should you should be dying in the woods anyway like, i get very annoyed at things like that and um just to wrap up do you think this film is still scary 20 year or 20 years onwards and us knowing all of its history and its legacy and the impact for someone coming in fresh to it um Yes, yes, I think it's still scary. I think those tensions between the three characters are like, that is universal. Like, that that still stresses me out. Maybe I'm just really conflict avoidant, but like, that really does stress me out a lot. I think mobile phones are a big difference here. Like, it's so funny when Heather is saying, um, it's America, you can't get lost in America. And saying, like, you don't even have mobile phones. Nowadays, you'd be like, well, we'll just Google map it. And like, so, and, and it's weird, even me watching it, kept thinking they would get phones out at any minute. And it did make me think, oh, we've lost an awful lot of horror by the fact that you always feel connected to something. Um, but also gained a whole new brand of horror where that connection is broken for some reason and then you're completely stranded and don't even have the basic skills to know where you yes, are. Yes, yes, that's very true. And actually, I just shot a horror film where, a short, where the horror is inside the phone. And so, because there's only so many horror films we can write mm -hmm. where we're like, well, I've got no reception. Oh, well. And like, you, you have to at some point, like, embrace the technology and be like, fine, we do have phones. We could call the police at any point. However, we have to find a reason why that won't save us. I, I think the only reason it might not still be scary is simply because of its success, that it's now, it, it was so influential. It's been pastiched so many times and just copied and just influenced so many things that it's such a shame that I think if you watch the original after seeing so much found footage flooding mainstream horror cinema, you'd feel a bit like, why is this different and interesting? But if you saw it in 1999 or 2000, it would have blown your tiny mind. I think the least you know about it going into it now, the better an experience it is. Yeah. Because if you know its history, it takes away the believability of it. Yeah. And funnily enough, if I really love a film, and I did love it when it first came out, I usually want to know everything about it and the making of it and the behind the scenes and all the rest of it. And I feel a complete absence of that with this because I like not knowing. The fact that like three filmmakers just went into the woods mm. and yeah, and something came for them. And I don't sort of want to know the witch's uh, motivation because I find Heather's so interesting. And like Josh and Mike's is also interesting as well. And like, and I think... You know, 
I know I reference it quite a bit actually, but I really do love that film. Like in the descent, like ah, oh, men came down here and never left. Okay, well that's that's that done because those seven women or six mm. women, they're way more interesting to me. So like it's you know that feeling when the story twists away from you and you're like no 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 back there back there more Buffy and Spike having sex. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. Um, so yeah, Do, are you still scared of him? Did it still get you? Yes and no. Uh huh. And I definitely found Heather a lot more an interesting character than I did when I was a teenager because I didn't really even register them as people. They were just puppets that were there to be killed by the witch. That's kind of what I was set up to expect because of other horror films, because of kind of the traditions of the genre. So that was quite surprising. But I don't remember really registering their madness like that first half Mm. the human horror of them being lost of them breaking down of them not being in control and especially for heather losing control is such a big part of her character and her breakdown and it's so powerful because then as an adult kind of you find it really relatable as a teenager i was just like where's the fucking witch i think yeah right i think as you know just a very unempathetic ding dong Mm. and like i probably couldn't have told you their names before i watched it again as an adult yeah and like and maybe if you do watch a lot of horror as a teenager as well you're just quite callow and you're like when they're gonna get killed yeah i want to see a head come off i want to see an eyeball pop Thank you very much. Whereas, yeah, as an adult, like, even just them fighting and, like, tearing each other apart, like, that that gets me tense. Yeah. So I'm already tense. And, like, and when the nighttime things come from them, I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, God. But um, yeah. I think it just might be, if it isn't still scary, I think it is just a victim of its own influence on the genre. It's like when I saw Star Wars for the first time when I was about 29 and all the way through I was like, oh, that's why the Yoda backpack. Oh, okay. Oh, that's why you make that joke. Luke, I'm your father. Got it right. Oh, yeah. Retrospectively, a lot of funny jokes that have passed me by. And so I was never once into that film at all in any way. That is such a great way to end. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for your time, for your insight, for rewatching this film. Where can people find more of your work? Um... Uh, do you know, if you just Google me, I never have actually, because I'm sure there's a lot of criticism out there. But it's, if you just Google Nat and then L-U-U, that's always me. It's Nat Lutzima. And then they've got like a <laughs> website and a Twitter, which is very good content, my Twitter. A lot of animal stuff. Um, a lot of round animals. A lot of round animals. Yeah. And it's not in a sexual way. It's it's very, very clean. Um, and And <laughs> my books as well. If you wanted to buy my books, that would be great. Sure, rent comes around every month. It always needs paying, um, and <laughs> and I'll have a short film out next year that hopefully you'll see at film festivals. Not to date this podcast, but it's called Uzo and Black Current, and it's a horror film. Exciting! Mm. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of the Final Girls podcast. Please do rate, subscribe, and share your nightmare camping stories with us on social media. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalghost.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalghost.uk. You can also find Nat on Twitter at NatLuritzima, that's with two U's, and I am on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more witchy goodness next week.